um, have an announcement to make. There was, um, and it's fitting that we're talking about older women and younger women this morning because there was a car in the parking lot this morning. I believe it was a gray Cadillac that was left running with the keys in it. So Mark Marshall has turned it off and Wendy Lyon has the keys. Now immediately when she said there was a car in the parking lot with the keys, I thought it was me. I left my car running in the parking lot um, because if I'm hard of hearing and if you're hard of hearing, you don't hear engines. And so I frequently have done that. And then I decided, no, it was some poor mom with three little kiddos that were screaming so loud she couldn't hear the car running. So anyway, if you have a gray Cadillac that was left running in the parking lot, Wendy has the keys. You don't have to stand up and, and tell everyone right now. You... Okay, they're in the office. They're in the office. And it was in, a, oh, poor thing, it was in a handicapped spot. So if you're um, that person, uh, just know that it could have been any one of us that did that this morning. And go get your keys in the office. We're going to um, be talking about women this week, as you already know. And so not only did I wear my skirt, so I would be girly, but I, uh, yeah, I figured I had to do something. Leave the jean jacket at home for once. And, um, and I... Someone had sent me some quotes um, from women about being a woman that I couldn't resist sharing just a couple of them with you this morning. One of them is from Roseanne Barr, and she says, I'm not going to vacuum till Sears makes one you can ride on. (laughs) I thought, how unfair is that? The men mow the yard on riding lawnmowers. We need a riding vacuum cleaner. Um, I thought Margaret Thatcher's was uh, good. She says, if you... In politics, if you want anything said, ask a man. If you want anything done, ask a woman. Uh, Gloria Steinem said, I have yet to hear a man ask for advice on how to combine marriage and a career. Yeah, it's like they're clueless. They don't know that should be hard, do they? Uh, But there's actually uh, two that are my very favorite. One of them is um, by a woman by the name of Jeanette Barber. I don't know who she is, but this is what she said. I refuse to think of them as chin hairs. I think of them as stray eyebrows. (laughs) But this is my very favorite. And when I was looking at these last night, I laughed so hard. My husband came in the room and said, what are you doing? And then I told him, and he didn't think it was funny at all. So I'm hoping that um, this... um, gal by the name of Jan King, she said, whoever thought up the word, she says, whoever thought up the word mammogram, every time I hear it, I think I'm supposed to put my breast in an envelope and send it to someone. (laughs) Uh, See, I knew it was funny. We're back on our journey again this week to discover what living as a wise church looks like. And last week we explored Paul's wisdom for the church in chapter 2, but we left out that one little crucial nugget in the chapter so we could come back this week and really unpack it. So open your Bibles with me and let's begin looking at what I believe is one of the most significant passages in the New Testament for women. In Titus chapter 2... Verse 3 says this, Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach 
what is good. If you recall last week, we talked about the fact that Paul was very concerned about the false teachers that were corrupting the baby churches in Crete. And his antidote for false teachers was healthy teaching or sound doctrine. And he begins with the older men in chapter 2. That's how we started out. And now we see his transition word here, which is likewise, as he moves on to older women and includes them in the wisdom of healthy teaching. And that word likewise leads us to our next big rock of truth on our journey to living as a wise church on your outline. A wise church invests in the maturity of its women by teaching them sound doctrine. There is actually a widely held misconception in the world that the Christian church, that the writers of our scriptures, the Bible, and in particular Paul has taken a bad rap for this, that the church and that Paul in particular hold women in poor esteem, that they bash women or overlook them, even giving them the role of second-class citizens, not worthy of being discipled or by being used in the church for ministry. I read on the internet this week the story, it was actually a Newsweek article, the story about the Duke lacrosse players that had been accused last year of rape. Now that the charges have been dropped, we've discovered that every piece of evidence that has been allowed to come out now that they have been cleared pointed to the fact that they could not have, some of them even physically on the premises, participated and the crime that they were charged with. Yet all the evidence, all the truth to support that was suppressed or overlooked. As women, we do not want to suppress the truth or overlook the truth that are in the scriptures concerning women. And we don't want to allow anyone else in the world or in the church to overlook the truth or suppress the truth about women in scriptures. Because, ladies, nothing in the scriptures negates the value of women in general or their value in the church. If we start with the Bible in Genesis, from the very first accounts of creation in the scriptures, the scriptures clearly tell us that women are God's idea, women are valued, and women are equally created in the image of God as our co-creation is man. Genesis 1.27 on your verse sheet says, So God created man in his image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And Genesis 2, 21 and 22 says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. Our creation by God as women was intentional, And it was purposeful. And from the very first pages of the scriptures, we see that women are valuable. Not because of what we look like or because of what we do in the world, how well we perform. But we are valuable according to God's own word because we are created in God's own image. And according to the writer of Genesis, neither man nor woman was created more in the image of God than the other. Man nor woman is created more valuable to God than the other. The scriptures also confirm that women are valued and valuable because we know that God himself died for our sins. Salvation is not gender specific. 
The blood of Christ is offered equally to women and to our co-creation and co-sinner man. Romans 3.23 on your verse sheet says, The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So not only are women created in the image of God and equally atoned for by God, we, see, we can also see the value that Jesus himself gave women when he walked on the earth. He never shied away from speaking directly to women, even though it was not a normal, a culturally normal thing to do. A great example of that is the woman at the well. He had a long and significant one-on-one conversation with the Samaritan woman that he initiated in John 4. John 4, 7 says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Even the Samaritan woman was stunned and astounded by the fact that Jesus spoke to her because in her culture, it was never accepted for a man to speak to a woman. But Jesus had no such concerns because he knew the truth. He knew the value of women. Jesus never shied away from ministering to women as we see throughout the Gospels where he healed and comforted women over and over and over again. And he did not even shy away from including women on his ministry team. Luke 8, 1 through 3 says, After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. If we read a little bit further in the Gospel of Luke, we even see Jesus confirm Paul's principle of teaching women sound doctrine so that they might grow in their faith and mature as we encounter the sisters Mary and Martha. Luke 10, 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Paul's direction that he gives to Titus here in verse 3 is actually not a new thought. Jesus had gone before him valuing women and teaching women truth so that their lives would change, so that they would be his disciples. And now Paul instructs Titus in the formation of the church. He upholds the value of women in the church and the importance of investing in women by teaching sound doctrine so that their lives might change, so that they might become mature women of the faith. But Because Titus is a young man, he probably doesn't have much experience or discernment with older women, particularly not older women in the church. Um, So Paul not only directs him in the issues of older women, which we're going to see in a few moments, but right here, Paul gives Titus a mandate that every church should take note of. Paul's mandate is for Titus, who is the appointed leader or the pastor of these baby churches in Crete, to teach and equip women 
with God's truth so that they might mature and become role models and teachers themselves. Interestingly enough, Paul does not place that responsibility on older women themselves. He doesn't say to us as women in the church, okay, sit over there and figure out what to do. Instead, he firmly places responsibility for ensuring that women have access to healthy teaching and sound doctrine that will lead them to maturity on the shoulders of every church leader since Titus penned this letter in 64 A.D. Maturing the older women of the church through healthy teaching is the responsibility of every church's leadership. A couple of years ago, one of the classes that I had the privilege to take at Dallas Seminary was a great class, and it was called Spiritual Formation. And it was taught by a delightful man. He was an experienced uh, DTS prof and an experienced pastor, and his name was Bill Lawrence. And one day Bill was talking in the class about the spiritual formation of women in the church. Now, most of the, of the people in the class uh, were 20-something guys, and they were all there um, with the hope and the purpose that when they graduated from seminary, they would be pastors themselves. And he was talking to them about women, and he said something that actually I probably gasped out loud when he said it. But he said um, that unfortunately when he graduated from seminary 30-plus years ago, that the only advice or counsel he got on the spiritual formation of women in the church was to stand back and let them do their own thing. Yeah. He, he kind of laughed and he said, yeah, I was really taught not to interfere with women. And the attitude was that I should simply hope and pray that women in the church didn't cause any trouble. I see <laughs> Marilyn is really chuckling out there. I see. Fortunately... Fortunately, he gave all the young men in that class that day different advice about the spiritual formation of women. And he affirmed Titus's message that a church has the responsibility for the maturity of their women. A wise church is always going to understand that responsibility and they're not going to overlook the value of women in the kingdom of God. And they're also going to realize the value that spiritually mature women will be to the church. Our church is always going to reap what it sows in the lives of its women. Mature women will be submissive to leadership, not divisive. Mature women will create community in a church, not controversy. Mature women will be givers to the ministry of the church, not simply takers. And mature women will always be teachable and not critical of the church. Interestingly enough, Paul had already had an experience in his ministry life with women in the church who could not get along. Philippians 2, 4, verses 2 and 3 says, and this is Paul talking, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Euodia and Syntyche are not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures except here in the context of a disagreement that threatens a church body. Paul has lived through the experience of having immature women in a church body and his words to Titus here are meant to prevent and create what he had perhaps already experienced in Philippi. As I mentioned before, Titus is young, so Paul actually gives him some specific insight here in this verse 3 into the issues of older women. He says older women should be taught to be reverent in the way they live. 
This is a Greek word in the text, and it's translated reverent in the NIV. And interestingly enough, the research I did, this is the only place this particular Greek word appears in all of the scriptures. And it has the meaning of befitting a holy person. Apparently in Crete, just as in our day today in the 21st century, reverence or holy living is not really the cultural norm. And it wasn't really the cultural norm in the lives of most older women. As the women's families grew up and their responsibilities in the home and in their workplace lessened, they had more time on their hands and they knew what to do with wisely. And with more time on their hands, that had led the women of Crete to become involved in a self-absorbed lifestyle, to begin entertaining themselves with wine and gossip. It's interesting, really, isn't it, that nothing new under the sun has changed, hasn't it? Women in the 21st century also face the same issues as women on Crete did. As our children grow up and our family responsibilities lessen, or perhaps we become more settled in our jobs, we've been teaching the same grade year after year, so we already have our lesson plans done. We don't have to do so much. We can also become more involved in a self-centered lifestyle, more involved in being self-focused rather than being God-focused or other-focused. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be the drinking and the gossiping that Paul is talking about here. We can become self-focused rather than God-focused in other ways. It could be um, simply exercising and shopping because you have the time to do that now, and you didn't when your children were younger. It could be eating and napping. It could be too much TV and too much Internet. Nancy Lee DeMoss has written a great book on biblical womanhood, and she shared this letter from an older woman that was sent to her that struggled with an internet addiction. Um, And she says to her, I struggled with the internet. At one point, I was on my computer up to 15 hours every single day. It was my way of escaping a lonely life and a hard marriage. You know, Paul, when he penned this, really knew nothing about the internet. I imagine he couldn't even conceive that that would face older women in the 21st century. But his point is not the particular activity that women are involved in. It's the immaturity and the self-indulgence of older women who had not been taught to be different from the world by the church. Paul's goal is actually the same with older women as it was with the older men that we talked about last week. His desire is that healthy teaching will give women in the church the tools that they need to mature and to become women, to become teachers and role models of godly living to everyone around them. I'm excited to say it's fun to stand up here and say to you that our women's ministries here at Christ Chapel are actually evidence that the leadership of Christ Chapel is committed to doing exactly what Paul has charged Titus with here. They're committed to maturing the women of our church. Our leadership understands the importance of Paul's message concerning women, and they support it with all the resources available to the church. Christ's chapel holds in high esteem the spiritual formation of its women. And that brings us to the next big rock of truth. A wise church recognizes that women have been called to ministry. Let's read verses 4 and 5 in chapter 2. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. 
Paul really gets to the heart of the matter in the next two verses, and that is women are called to ministry in the church. And this is actually old news in the scriptures. It's not something that Paul himself thought up. Women throughout biblical history have been used by God for God's purposes. God did not create women in Genesis and then say to us, step aside, girls, while I take men along for, uh, to help out in my plan for redemption. From the opening pages of Scripture, we see women uh, involved in ministry in all kinds of places and in all kinds of ways. Women are used by God for the good of his kingdom. Moses is actually called the deliverer of Israel, but we all know if we've read the Old Testament that it took his mother Jochebed and his sister Miriam to actually deliver him to safety from the death sentence that was given to him by Pharaoh. Deborah was one of Israel's most famous judges and was involved in um, a battle that was turning the tide for the nation of Israel. Queen Esther took seriously God's call in her life and she saved her people from extinction through exceptional courage and her willingness to serve. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, um, her cousin, were one of the first, the very first to know that God's plan for the Messiah, that the time had arrived, and they did everything God asked of them. Mary and Martha, that we've already talked about, had an exceptional ministry alongside Jesus because every time he needed them to, they opened their home, not only to him, but to their disciples and to his disciples and to the other followers. I could go on and on talking about the ministry that women have had in God's kingdom. And I haven't even talked about the New Testament church yet that you looked about in your homework. I haven't talked about the Loises and the Lydias and the Eunices and the Phoebes and the Priscillas. Women are important to the kingdom. And Paul, in these few short verses in Titus, gives us a calling that as women in the church, we should not refuse. No matter what else God might have in store for us in life, we should not refuse his calling. And he gives us a calling that a wise church should not ignore. Paul tells each of us here in this room um, that we are responsible for teaching and mentoring and nurturing the women who are behind us on the road to spiritual maturity. We have got to reach out a hand to those who are on the road behind us. Now, as we look at these passages, one of the hang-ups always is when you begin to talk about what Paul had to say to Titus here is um, the older woman, younger woman debate. Okay, so let's take a show of hands. How many of us in the room want to be the younger woman? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And that... um, And that's the truth. We all want to hold, raise our hand up to being the younger woman. And we are younger women to almost everyone else. We could divide up in the room, okay, the 30-somethings and the 20-somethings sit in these pews and the 40-somethings here and the 50-somethings, the 60s and 70s. I mean, we could do that and we could, you know, decide who actually was the older woman in the room. Um, We all are... We all are younger women to someone. But we're also older women to someone. And to that someone, we have a God-given responsibility that the Word of God is not going to let us ignore. Now, the second part of the older-younger debate controversy in this scripture is that even if we're willing to acknowledge that we are physically older than some other women in the room, um, we don't often feel qualified or called to teach mentor or nurture another woman. We either don't have the time 
we feel like we don't have all the answers because of the issues that are in our lives. We feel inadequate in our life experience or we feel inadequate in our ability to help someone else with their issues. And finally, we feel inadequate in our knowledge of the scriptures. And all of those arguments and assessments are probably true for most of us at some point of our lives because we are busy and we are fragile and we are sinners. Um, And perhaps we don't know all that we need to know about the scriptures. But in light of grace, what we talked about last week, in light of what God has done for us, in light of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us, we can do nothing less than say yes to Christ and his church, say yes to Paul and his call for us to take on this responsibility, and yes to the women around us who are waiting for us to reach out a hand to them. Susan Hunt has written a book called Spiritual Mothering, and it's on mentoring. And she says this in her book about Paul's words in Titus 2. She says, this is compelling. It's a gospel imperative. It's the way Christian women show and tell the next generation of women of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders he has done so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. And thus, the kingdom of Christendom is advanced. What we have to remember when we think about this call that may seem overwhelming to us is that our call to ministry in the lives of of younger women is actually fairly simple. It's a call to live faithfully what we have been taught. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 on your sheet says... So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. And it's simply a call to imitate the one who loves us. Philippians 5.1 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to us. And finally, it's simply a call to love another woman as we walk beside them with patience and humility. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I actually believe that Paul's task explanation of the task of mentoring here in these few verses is sometimes oversimplified or passed off as older women simply teaching younger women how to be homemakers, how to keep house, how to cook, how to um, do laundry. Um, And certainly that's not anything to scoff at. I remember being a younger woman that thought, how in the heck do I do this? Um, And it was helpful to have an older woman help me at that. But the ministry I believe that Paul is actually calling us to is more complex than can be contained simply with the simple task of homemaking. A close look at Paul's words reveals that I believe he too has a deeper meaning than simple housekeeping skills. The first thing he talks about in verse 4, that this ministry should communicate woman to woman, is relationships. He says to younger women, he says to older women, teach younger women to love their husbands and their children. He's talking about relationships. Relationships are always of the primary importance in God's economy. 
God wants a relationship with us, and he wants us to reflect that perfect relationship around us in the lives of those that we live with. Women who have been in relationships longer have wisdom to share with those who are on the path to maturity behind them. My mother-in-law is 86 years old, and she has Alzheimer's now, and she no longer recognizes me or has any clue who I am. But just as she's been doing for the last 40 years, she is continuing to teach me how to love others unconditionally. Sometimes I go in the afternoons and the late afternoons to the nursing home where she is to feed her dinner. And when I sit there with her and spoon the food into her mouth, after every spoonful, she looks at me and says, Honey, I love you. Now, she has no idea who I am. Absolutely no idea who I am. And as an older woman with dementia, she continues to teach me about love, about unconditional love, and about relationships. And that's what Paul is talking about. Mentoring woman to woman is going to be about our relationships. Next, in verse 4, we see that Paul moves on to the issue of character. He says, To be self-controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. One of the important issues that the New Testament church on Crete now faced was the newfound freedom that was given to women by the Savior. The message of the gospel actually freed the women of Paul's world from stigmas and stereotypes, from culturally imposed restrictions that they had lived under for centuries. And Paul himself validates that in Galatians 3.28 when he writes to the church at Galatia, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse from Paul was actually a Magna Carta of sorts for the first century church. Unfortunately, without the wisdom and maturity, without the wisdom of maturity, women with their newfound freedoms in the first century church were not always exercising self-control and purity in a way that honored Christ in the church. They weren't holding high standards in their homes or in their work environments, and they weren't even displaying kindness always to those around them. These same issues are true today with the freedoms that we hold as women in the 21st century. Without wisdom and maturity, our characters can suffer also. We don't always handle our freedoms in Christ wisely either. We do, as women, have great freedom in how we dress. We have great freedom, as today's women, in how to amuse and entertain ourselves. We have great freedom in how we interact with our friends, how we interact with men in our social circles or the workplace or even in church. Our culture does not place any restrictions on us um, in those areas. Paul shares with Titus that the best way to address the issues of godly character is woman to woman, older to younger. He firmly charges older women in the church, those of us, every one of us that's sitting here, are older women. He charges us to be role models and teachers of integrity, to be living examples of godly character. One thing that we don't see here is Paul placing the responsibility for character building in younger women on the men of the church. Godly character is a legacy older women should strive to pass on to young women in the church. Jane Thomas in our uh, small group leaders meeting this morning said it most effectively. She said, men don't have a clue. It's going to be up to women to pass on to younger women what godly character looks like in the life of another woman. Second Peter 1, 5, and 6 says this. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, 
to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Older women can give the gift of godly character to younger women in the church. And the final area that Paul specifically addresses and includes in a mentoring relationship between women is older women teaching younger women how to yield to others, particularly their husbands, as he says here, teach them how to be subject to their husband. You know, Peter, uh, Paul isn't the only one that talks about um, submission between husbands and wives. Peter also affirms the value and importance of women yielding to their husbands in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 3, where he tells us, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Paul understands here that the best way for women to understand the truth that there is power in a yielded spirit, there is power for the cause of Christ in a submitted heart, the best way is to learn it from one who has lived it. As women, we can always know what the scriptures have to say about yielding to our husbands or yielding to others in authority over us. But it's best modeled to us or taught to us by someone who has lived it well. As a woman, Paul gives us great wisdom when he encourages a woman-to-woman dialogue about a yielded heart in a relationship. The blessings and the complexities of a submitted heart are best understood in an open and transparent relationship with another woman who cares about us and who is committed to us. And to me, that sounds like a mentoring relationship. As we can see, Paul has given us more than simple rules to run a household. He isn't just talking about how to fold the laundry or how to put dinner on the table. He gives women the call to minister to other women, and he has in mind older women teaching younger women how to have godly relationships, how to have godly character, and how to have godly submission in their lives to others. Now, we've been talking here about um, a wise church recognizing that women have a call to ministry. And before we move on, I want to talk about one other aspect of a wise church. And that is, although women have been definitely called to ministry, a wise church may discern that there are some ministry areas that women as a gender may not be called to. We see in this text that men as a gender are not called to mentor younger women. That's definitely something that has been given to women as a gender. Last week, we looked at the qualifications for the highest level of authority in a local church, the elders and the senior pastors and the overseers. And Paul's words concerning the qualifications of a church leader placed a gender-specific fence around the office of elder and senior pastor in the verses that we looked at in Titus and in Timothy because he specifically says an elder will be a husband of one wife. I don't know about you, but I don't have any aspirations to be a husband anytime soon. I don't think God um, is going to allow that to happen in my life. And at Christ Chapel, we would accept that that gender-specific fence around the office of um, elder and pastor is an accurate interpretation of a ministry that women are actually not called to. I know there are other churches that have interpreted the scriptures um, somehow to without that gender-specific fence around the office of elder and pastor. And at Christ Chapel, we would support anyone's freedom to choose a church that interprets the scriptures differently than we have. 
But let me share with you that I have had this debate about gender-specific ministries in my own heart. I've had it in seminary classes, and I've had it with women who disagree with the leadership at Christ Chapel. And it's led me to make this observation in my own life and for the lives of the women that I have the opportunity to be involved in. When Eve was in the Garden of Eden, she lived in a perfect paradise. But in the middle of that perfect paradise, God had placed one tree. And for her protection, he had put a fence around that one tree. And he said to her, you can have every other tree in the entire garden. But this one tree, for your protection, I have put a fence around it. Unfortunately for us and for Eve, she became focused on that one tree. She had some help with that. She had some encouragement from Satan. He directed her eyes to that one tree. She ignored God's protection and she climbed the fence. We know the rest of that story, don't we? She had paradise all around her. Hundreds, maybe thousands of other trees. All she had to do was take her focus off that one tree and the fence that was around it and turn around and look at the rest of the garden. As women in the church, sometimes we develop what I call Eveitis. We become focused on one area of ministry that God has put a protective fence around, and we refuse to turn around and look at all of the other significant ministries in the church that need us that are begging for us to be involved in, that God has given us. Women are definitely called to ministry, but we should guard ourselves from focusing on any one area that may be behind God's protective fence. And we should turn around and look at the rest of the garden. And that brings us to our final rock of truth from these few scriptures, and that is, a wise church understands the influence of women. You know, there's no doubt in my mind, as uh, Paul penned these few verses, that he, without a doubt, understood the influence of women. He understood that women influence whole households. Perhaps it was Paul that wrote that funny little saying that says, if mama ain't happy, nobody ain't happy. Because Paul understood that. He understood that. A look back in the scriptures show us that Eve, who we just talked about, actually influenced Adam to join her in her disobedience, didn't she? She had influence over Adam. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, influenced Abraham in his treatment of Hagar and his son Ishmael. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, influenced Jacob to steal the inheritance from his brother, from his father, Isaac. On a more positive side, Naomi influenced Ruth to seek a husband and kinsman redeemer, and she became part of the lineage of Christ. Esther influenced the king of Persia to save her entire people from extinction. Paul, who knows the scriptures, understands the influence of women. And with these verses, he unleashes the power of that influence in the church. He calls us to use that influence to raise up the next generation of godly women. Paul wants us to use our influence woman to woman for the cause of Christ and for the good of the church. Now, as women, we're always going to have a choice. And Paul gives us the consequence of that choice in verse 5. If, for whatever reason, we make a choice to not accept our call to grow up the next generation of women that is behind us on the path to spiritual maturity, we subject the Word of God to ridicule, we subject it to rejection, we subject it to misinterpretation. 
the influence of women has a far-reaching effect, not only on families, and certainly it does have an influence on families, but on the future of the church. And women have an influence on the message of the gospel. I keep this quote from John Maxwell to church leaders taped on my desk where I can see it every single day when I sit there. And John Maxwell says this, Without exception, the growth and health of your church relies on one demographic, women. Not only do women occupy more seats and perform more roles on any typical Sunday, they are the primary significant reason for increased attendance among men and among children at your church. John Maxwell understands that a wise church will value women, that a wise church without hesitation will invest in the maturity of the women that sit in their pews every week. A wise church will encourage women and do everything they can to support women in their call to ministry. And a wise church, without a doubt, will understand the influence that women have not only on the future of the church, but on the gospel message itself. But as women, we also have a responsibility to understand something. We have a responsibility to understand that as wise women and wise disciples, we have to accept our God's call on our lives. We must be women that validate and esteem the value that God and his church has placed on women by accepting our call to reach back to that next generation of women and bring them along with us on the road to spiritual maturity, intentionally, intentionally investing in women and in the church and in the message of our Savior Jesus Christ. Pray with me.